0: WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Welcome back to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. Glad you could join us after a pretty damn good United States Grand Prix. I actually really enjoyed that race. Um, Good tactical fight all the way to the end. And of course, a lot of stuff in it that I'm sure got you guys hot takes flowing good you could join this as ever and i've got another great guest alongside me on this week's edition of the show joining me you might know her from tiktok and from the wtf1 talent pool you probably know her as ellie profit hello ellie good to see you
1: hi thanks so much for having me on excited to be here
0: excited to have you um how did you find that us grand prix then pretty pretty good going right
1: Very action-packed and obviously we're going to get into it today, but disqualifications, track limits, all going on, super exciting. So can't wait to unpack and talk about it
0: yeah me and me both looking forward to it indeed so because every podcast is somebody's first a quick explanation of the rules and regs around here remember that it becomes important later talking about rules and regulations (laughs) you the fine WTF1 audience send in your takes you can do so on Twitter at WTF1 official look out for the hot takes Wednesday post on on there on a Monday morning you can send your tweets in via there you can DM me on Instagram yes my DMs are open at Dre Harrison WTF1 you can DM me on there with your takes thanks for the very kind words regarding that as well i see you guys in there i read every message i promise i don't have time to get to every take every episode because i get about 30 or 40 every week if any got room for five on the show but don't think they don't go unnoticed. I do really appreciate it. So thank you. And of course, you can email us at contact at wtf1.com as well. All the hot takes get forwarded on to me. And we've got a real blend of Instagram, uh, Twitter, and emails today coming in for the five on this week's episode. So once our takes have been sent through, me and our guest, in this case, the lovely Eddie, we'll have a little bit of a back and forth chat about them. And in the end, we will score them on a scale of one to five. One being that we strongly disagree and five being that we strongly agree with the take now ellie are you going to play on hard difficulty which means you're only allowed to use the free rating on one out of these five takes
1: of course i am i'm not going to shy away from the challenge so uh, yeah let's do it
0: love it i, I, I love it uh, no <laughs> one's turned that down yet i do love the fact that people like to play on this difficulty and not sit on the fence we like that on this show so ellie you ready for hot takes wednesday
1: Let's go. Let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Take number one comes from Jonathan Holden from the realm of Twitter or whatever Elon Musk wants to call it. This week, he <laughs> says Hass selling to Andretti would be best for everyone. They will never be anything other than a backmarker team. They've showed less progression in the eight years they've been racing than Williams in the last eight months. Ah, that is spicy. <laughs> That is very hot. Um, one more time, Haas said into Andretti will be best for everyone. They will never be anything other than a backmarker team. They've showed less progression in the late eight years they've been racing than Williams in the last eight months. So Ellie, what was your first impression when you suddenly saw that one?
1: Well, harsh, I think, but you know, there's quite a lot to unpack here. We've got kind of three points, I guess, to Mm. to talk about. We've got the Andretti side of things, Haas being a backmarker, and also comparing them to Williams as well. So I think, yeah, lots to kind of get through. I think with Andretti, you know, it's been a big topic. And they're, you know, a very big name in motorsport. In terms of Haas themselves, we can't deny they have been a backmarker. I don't think anyone's going to be outraged in terms of nope. that part of the statement.
0: <laughs> Definitely but- not.
1: It's true since they've entered, you know, they've had so many challenges. I mean, we see it in DTS. The amount that they're featured is probably a sign they could literally have their own series with all of their struggles um, and their performances and things. I think, unfortunately, they probably will always be a backmarker. They've struggled to perform kind of in the midfield, um, particularly in the last sort of recent seasons. Um, You know, P9 at the moment in the constructors. So I think... That part of it is not that controversial. Has are a backmarker. In terms of, you know, selling to Andretti, this has been like a topic of conversation for quite a long time. Yeah, They've, they've resisted it. It's, you know, Gina said that he doesn't want to, you know, sell over the team and things. But I think, you know, it makes sense. They're a backmarker. It's possible that if they were backed by them, you know, fresh perspective, resources, financial, technical, so many things, I think... Obviously, the financial side in F1 is huge, um, and if if they could get an injection of cash from Andretti, then kind of why not? You know, they've they need to do something different, basically. So I think, yeah, that side of things I'm definitely agreeing with. In terms of Williams, you know, it's interesting, different histories. You've got Has newer team Williams, you know, such a you know long history in F1, uh, especially recently. I think if we're looking like short term Williams are doing well like they had an impressive Grand Prix if we're looking at this weekend so yeah definitely I think if we're comparing the two teams this year especially Williams are you know in terms of their you know where their team's doing they're smashing it compared to Haas so yeah I'm I'm thinking this take is not too controversial and I'm definitely like leaning towards agreeing with this one
0: yeah, there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat, so to speak. Um, I, It's weird with Haas because they were actually a stronger team when they first got into F1, where they were genuinely scoring points on a pretty regular basis. They were around that sort of midfield four to six sort of area amongst the teams, and as time has gone on, I think they've gotten worse. And I think the Williams comparison is a little bit harsh, and the reason yeah. why I say that is because Haas has about 250 staff members williams has about 900 uh, james val spoke very eloquently about that last week when the topic came up on sky and he he had definitely rehearsed that speech um <laughs> but he, he mentioned that he had 900 members of staff working for, for williams that's a that's so much more in terms of resources. i've been lucky enough to visit grove and see williams and it is an enormous facility um they've uh, They've just massively underperformed through the years compared to what I think they are potentially capable of. Um, In regards to Haas and Andretti, I agree. It would solve a lot of problems if Haas were to sell. Look, I'm going to cut the BS on this one. Formula One doesn't want 11 teams. It's more than obvious they don't want 11 teams. They would they, they embraced Andretti with open arms. This is a bid that is one of the biggest racing names in America. It's got General Motors backing one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world. There's no good reason for me that Formula 1 shouldn't be kicking the door down to having an American team join. And let's be honest, Hass is not really all that American. It's got this bases in Bambury. There's a lot of Italian backing in there as well. This is a proper American team as well. Biggest names in the business, massive car manufacturer. And Andres tried to buy a team out already. They tried to buy out Sauber a couple of years ago, and it didn't work out. And, they, and Aldi instead of now bought that team and are going to be the Aldi team in a couple of years' time... It would solve a lot of problems. Formula One gets to keep its 10 teams. Haas gets the backing of two massive names, Andretti's resources, General Motors' resources. Um, and I'm sure of in, in the short to medium term, it would help them. Just one problem. The teams don't want to sell. They know how valuable their place on the grid is now worth. The sport wants to protect them. If you've any, if you've read any reports out there about like, for example, Forbes value in F1 at like something like 17 billion. Now it's, it's, it's silly money, what we're talking. And then Alpine valued themselves at about 800 mil the other day when they sold a quarter of their team off to basically every famous athlete under the sun. Now you may have seen the new crop that came through last week. Anthony Joshua, Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. I've got him, uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend, uh, <laughs> etc. cetera. Um, they gave the game away like Alpine values themselves at about 800 million and it's only going to go up if the the value of the sport goes up so if you're someone like a gene ass you probably don't want to sell your spot right now because it's rare that sports franchises go down in value they only go up um and f1's in, in generally in a good place right now so I agree with the perspective that I think if Haas was truly adamant about wanting to win and wanting to climb the field, maybe giving up a degree of control and letting Andretti and General Motors come in would probably suit everybody. But (laughs) unfortunately, I don't think they will for that that financial reason because if you're selling your team you're you're hopping off the roller coaster as it's only going up in terms of value and you you don't want to do that um ideally so (sighs) i agree with the take though i do agree i I don't think it will happen but i agree with the perspective of where it is has have struggled for a little while they're on they've tracked down more than up in recent years they barely survived the pandemic um it's not ideal they need they need something to come from somewhere in terms of a shot in the arm, whether it be financially, whether it be a new owner, mm. um, or whatever it is. They they need the help because I mean, if if you saw this past weekend, Alpha Towery getting five points from Yuki Sonoda finishing eighth was massive for the team. They're only two points behind Haas now. Um, that fight for eighth is going to be massive. So overall, I agree with the take. I think it would be the best thing for all parties except for Gunther Steiner. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to say four, Jonathan, for your take on that one. I agree f- for the most part that I think selling would probably be best, but they're not going to want to do that. It's, it's too lucrative. That's the problem. Um, Ellie, like, what, what's your gut telling you on this one?
1: Give me I- a score. Like you say, in terms of, like, the financial side of stuff, like, it would be great if we did see it. And who knows? If they got pushed to that point, then perhaps they would revisit it, you know? Let the- me just say
0: on the record, I am all for an 11th team. I am all... <laughs> I, 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 I I, cannot stress this enough, that F1's politics is nonsense. Give me 11 teams. It, we, we can have 12. There's no good reason why we can't have 12. Carry on, Eddie. Sorry, I had to make that point, just to avoid any confusion. <laughs>
1: I think, yeah, I don't think it will happen. You know what F1 I like with mm. regulations and things. It'd be great to see Andretti, like you say, the links, you know, with the US and has being an American team. But going on to the take, I think I agree with the take. And I've actually gone for a four as well. I think it would be great to see. Do I think it will happen? Probably not.
0: You have three United States Grand Prix's now. You will pump every promotional tool you can get into this show. DTS's biggest audience is the United States of America. But if you want a team from there, no, can't have that. This sport is nonsense sometimes. Give me Andretti. I want an eleventh team. Okay, F1 has been silly for this, and I, I cannot stress that point enough on this show. Um, I just wanted to get that. I'm going to make my stance on this absolutely clear to avoid any and all confusion. Um, so yeah, I'm all for an eleventh team, and I, I hope it's Andretti. I hope it's anybody that has defensible ways of getting a team on the grid because we, we can have twelve. So why can't we have twelve? I think I think there's a lot of greed and a lot of at play at that, and I don't like it. But, hey, it is what it is. Um, Right. This is a Hot Takes Wednesday first. One person has got two successful takes on the show. I've never done this before, but they were both so good, they're both going to be on the show. So I'll address the first one, and then we'll come back to the second one later. It's from Marcin Zygmunt, who always sends in fantastic takes. I think I've mentioned him four or five times on this show since I started hosting it back in January. Um, always brings good stuff to the table. And here's another one. Quote, Sprint formats must be changed. They were created to bring excitement, but they're the most boring part of the weekend. <laughs> wow. The FIA should go all the way in the entertainment direction. It's only for eight points. It won't impact the championship fight, but it will give back markers a chance to make a difference and will truly spice up the sprint. I just want to point out, I had to cut this down. It was two tweets worth of, of, of explanations about this because, pardon me, for a second, I had a bit of a cough there. Um, a lot of people sent in sprint-related takes off the back of you, off the back of what happened at Kota, um, mm. and I might actually save some for a how to save the sprint special or something along those lines because there was a whole heap of different suggestions about how to improve things. I did read them all. Thanks for that. I, I might come back and save them at a later point, uh, but I just wanted to make that clear that, um, yeah. So, Marston's take one more time. Sprint formats must be changed. They're created to bring in excitement, but they're the most boring part of the weekend. FIA should go all the way in the entertainment direction. It's only for eight points. It won't impact the championship fight, but it will give back markers a chance to make a difference and will truly spice up the sprint. How do you feel on this one, Danny?
1: Gosh, again, a lot to unpack. I think like you said, you could genuinely have a whole series on people's opinions on the sprint and the format and everything. I think, you know, we're noticing... What's your
0: gut feed on the sprint in general then?
1: It's that word, isn't it? Boring. And I think like, I don't know if I'd say it was boring. I just don't... My gut instinct is that it doesn't work. As it, you know, i I just, I'm not sure. I kind of have that sigh when you know it's a sprint weekend, rather than mm. excited. I'm like, oh, it's another sprint weekend. They just
0: I say how I feel about it.
1: Yeah, I just,
0: I think, I think it's too safe. I've said mm. this on, on other places on my on my other podcast. If you guys follow me on a more personal level on, on on M101, I've said it there too. I think it's too safe. I think it's too similar to the Grand Prix that we already have. And I think that's why a lot of people didn't feel great about this Grand Prix on Sunday morning because Max had dominated that sprint so thoroughly that they just thought it was going to run away with it. Turns out we actually got a much more captivating Grand Prix in the end <laughs> because you never know what happened on Sunday. But even Max was like, I think it gives part of the game away. I, I'm not, a, you know, Max has always been anti-sprint, always. So I think it's too safe. I don't like the fact that the best part of the weekend qualifying in my opinion is now on a Friday afternoon, Friday evening sort of slot. I think that's annoying. Um, I, I just think it's too safe. I don't know how you feel about it, Ellie, by comparison, but that's how I've always looked at it. I think you can see where I'm going with this. I massively agree with this take. But, um, <laughs> But, but uh, I wanted to at least get some context behind it first. So, I mean, again, how do you feel about it? Do you think there's a way it could be improved?
1: I think it's, like you say, it's almost similar. But then when we look at the points with only eight points for a win, from then, you know, a driver's point of view, how is it almost as prestigious to win? It's not like Oscar obviously won the sprint, but is it the same as winning a race? No. no. But then it's effectively the same setup, just shortened. And I just don't think it does enough to, you know, it's probably intended to give other teams a chance to showcase in that shorter kind of simulation rather than a long race. But does it do that? No. Like you said, we just basically get a little starter to the weekend. We probably get the same pretty much layout, max winning. So it's, yeah, the anticipation has gone. It's just effectively a practice. With a few points, I think assigned to I
0: f- it. I remember Logan Sargent describing that back in Baku as exactly that. It was like, look, I have no chance of coming in eighth, and that's w- w- <laughs> which is where the points cutoff starts off. I've got no chance of making the top eight, so for us, it's a glorified test session. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I've I largely I think it was actually worse in the original format because I used to nickname it. I used to say because I remember when the sprint first came along it would set the grid for the Grand Prix on the Sunday. And I used to say, congrats, you've now made the Grand Prix a 400-kilometer race with a red flag at 25% distance. (laughs) Congratulations. Um, It's not so bad now because the sprint is obviously standalone, but I still... For me, and again... I'll get into some of these maybe in a future episode about some of the suggestions some of you guys think. Some of them are very very good, and I'm, I'm more than prepared to get them on at some point. I think it's time for reverse grids. I I I I. I it feels like I'm opening Pandora's box when talking about this because I, I think a lot of people in F1 they mention reverse grids, and then all of a sudden it's like someone's just seen a ghost. Um, it's like is F1 ready for that? Like because I think that might be the only way you can save this. You reverse some degree of the grid, like Formula Two does. I think it's the first ten they reverse for the for the sprint or the sprint race compared to the feature. Um, I think it's time we entertain that part of the conversation because I'm not sure what else you could do to save this. Um, but what what do you think? Do you think the F the F one in general should? go all the way in on this? Because I think if you're talking about going all in for entertainment, that's one of the ways you do it, surely.
1: I just don't know whether it's maybe the frequency now that we have more sprint. It, yeah. it just kind of you know, devalues this thing that's meant to be more exciting and providing like a different way to interact with F1. I mean, we all love racing, but we don't enjoy this extra bit of it. So I think that's saying something. <laughs> And with the drivers as well, you know, being very vocal, they don't like the sprint. So I don't know why we're still doing it. If the fans and the drivers don't like it, then it definitely needs to be revisited. Now that we have, you know, the shootout as well, effectively, Saturdays are a different event to Sundays. And I think it's always been about, as you say, the exciting bit is the quality and then the anticipation is for the Sunday. So I just, I think it's almost like an added layer of entertainment that doesn't really add the entertainment, I guess.
0: Yeah, my theory is they've done it to get more people to watch on a Friday. Yeah. Because a lot of people will just skip out practice, which is understandable. It's practice. It's not meant to be exciting. Um, You know, um, as much as people love watching race cars go around... You will never convince me that practice is something that should be on TV. That's just me personally.
1: I you... practice.
0: <laughs> well, we disagree on something. Um, but <laughs> me, me personally, if I've I've always vouched for for like thinning down practice time. For example, I don't think you need three hours of it. Personally, I think putting the teams more on. That's the one thing I do like about the sprint format. Only having an hour of practice. It puts more pressure on the teams to get their setups right straight away because, as this weekend proved, um, you get it wrong and there can be controversy and, and um, you know, uh, rule-breaking, etc., which we'll get to a little bit later on in the show. But I think to, to circle it back a little bit towards Marsan's take in general, I've um, I i I've only done this, I think, once before on the history of me as a host on Hot Takes Wednesday I'm saying five. I don't. I don't break out the five very often, but I 100% agree with you, Marsan. I think if you're going to if you're going to have the sprint, which they're not going to get rid of, they it makes them too much money. We as F1 fans will watch anything. <laughs> like, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you watch everything on an F1 weekend. That's probably just the way you're going about. It. You're a hardcore fan. You will watch anything. You're more likely to watch your favorite part if it's on Friday. You watch more over a weekend. Chances are it's better than practice. They're not going to get rid of it. So go all the way with it. Put points down to maybe 15th place. Give the smaller teams more of an incentive mm. to go for it, maybe. And also, yeah, like reverse the grids. I'm all for that. Like, you know, it's some people will say it's too contrived and too gimmicky, which I can understand. There's certainly an argument for that, but if you're gonna try and improve the show, go for it. Go all the way with it. Don't, because what this is is still too safe. It's too similar to the Grand Prix, and I know you're not going to get people to get behind this idea if you're just going to have a shortened version of the Grand Prix that's already that already exists. That's how I look at it. Um, so I'm going to say. Five and I never go five on this show, but I fully agree with you, Marson, hundred percent. How do you feel about it,
1: Eddie? <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm more ballsy because I'm not on every week, but I actually wrote down a five for this one. I just think if you ask anyone, they're not gonna disagree. Sprints need to be changed, the format needs to be changed. So yeah, I've gone for a five. A double five? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that's I think that's only the second time in the nine months I've been hosting this show that we uh, both of us have gone for a five. That, that is a unicorn. Ellie, you've made some history really? on Hot on Ticks hot Wednesday. You're welcome back anytime. Um, <laughs> take number three comes from Addy, um, Abby Woodard, who uh, emailed the show um, from, from Oklahoma City. Oh, love, to see, love, love, the, love the American audience. Uh, always say such nice things about us. So thanks, uh, Abby, and thanks to all the American listeners out there. We love you. Um, she sent in saying, uh, Dre, I've got a take for you. If it wasn't for his big personality, Daniel Ricciardo's career would be cold in the ground. Now, I also want to give a shout-out to Devil's, Devil's Beans Coffee, who's also sending in something very similar on Twitter. I feel it was only fair to mention them both because it was all very, very similar in how it was worded. But yeah, if it wasn't for his big personality, Daniel Ricciardo's career would be cold in the ground. So this argument is is ricardo's personality the only thing that's keeping him in the job um how do you feel about it l
1: don't like it <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't like it either for what it's worth but
1: <laughs> oh gosh yeah again there's this one is is harsh i feel it is harsh but if i'm looking at it impartially i mean we all love daniel ricardo like who who doesn't love him he's one of the most charismatic people in F1, he's got that trademark grin. You know, he invented the shoey. He's yeah, he's a fan favorite. Everyone adores him, so no one wants to read a take like this. But you know, that's the <laughs> point. they're controversial. I think you know, there's two two ways to look at it. There's definitely you know, we look at the driving talent. Uh, he's proven himself. He obviously has talent. You, you you don't stay in F1 without talent. You're not just there for your personality. 2014, you know, amazing season with Red Bull, outperformed Sebastian Vettel, obviously 4 time world champion. He's a race winner. He's had podiums for Renault McLaren. Like it's not, I don't think it's fair to just say he's here for his personality. Mm. You know, he's got a great reputation. Obviously now he's been in the sport for years, but you know, there was a time where he had the reputation for being one of the best overtakers for late breaking. He was, yeah, he was amazing to watch on track. I think then if we look at the personality side, I do agree. There's no denying that personality can affect someone's time in F1. You know, in terms of marketability, he's the best, like for the fan base, for sponsor- like sponsorship deals, etc. It's great to have him in the sport. That definitely probably has, you know, had an advantage on his time in the sport, the longevity of it. So I think, yeah, personality is definitely a factor of why he's been around for so long. However, like at its core, F1 is about performance. Like he's not just there for no reason. Personality played a role, but yeah, I'm saying that talent is basically why he's been retained on the grid for so long.
0: I, I fully agree. Um, I think the good of Daniel Ricciardo's career has far outweighed the bad. Mm. Um, I think he's. I, I think he is the biggest reason why Red Bull has got so much driver controversy around it right now because they were never able to replace Ricciardo after he left that team in 2018. Um, he was the only person that they've had since since then that has been able to keep reasonably close to Verstappen in their time together as teammates. Mm. They tried Albon didn't work they tried Gasly that really didn't work and now Perez is under pressure um as we speak um what I would say is is that his personality absolutely helps I mean there is there will always be a value in being a quote-unquote media darling Mm quote-unquote fan favorite I completely agree with the sentiment that you've said at L that um that yeah, he, he's he's a very marketable person. I've said it before, I think he's the I think he's been the biggest winner of the drive to survive boom. Because yeah. Hamilton has, doesn't play a massive role in the show, but Stappen literally boycotted it for several years before coming back last year. Um and they already have massive profiles of their own. Um, I would argue Ricardo, who has been heavily featured in a lot of seasons of the show, is probably been its biggest winner. Um and but I don't think, and to, to, to reflect what you said, Al, um, I don't think Christian Horner, when he was making the decision to move on from Nick DeFries earlier on this year, was like, well, Ricardo will get all the DTS girls in, all the DTS fans in. I mean, I say DTS girls because that's exactly how Horner described it earlier this year, which didn't go down well. Um, I'm speaking in context here. it's not what I actually think. That's literally what he said. Um, but I don't think he was, making those key decisions with that thought in mind red bull is a massive company it's worth multiple billions of pounds uh, like not so much as an energy drink supplier but just because of the amount of marketing they already pull they're everywhere they their influence in sports is enormous how many sport events don't have red bull predominantly featured in it somewhere not many like they have owned that space for many, many times. They don't need the help of Daniel Ricciardo. They've already got that more than covered. Um, So what I was going to say is it's very much a sport of what have you done for me lately? I was shocked. I I, I saw three or four different Daniel Ricciardo-based takes in my inbox this week, maybe because of his co-to-drive and his first weekend back and Again, his car had damage for most of that race. It wasn't on him as to why he was so slow. Um, But I'm surprised people have turned so quickly on Daniel. uh, The McLaren time for me was an outlier more than it was the, the norm of his career. But I get it. The sport moves very quickly. It's a what have you done for me lately kind of sport. I get why McLaren bought him out. They've been vindicated because Oscar Piastri has been so good. Um, annoyingly, Zach Brown probably made the right call on that. As harsh as it may sound, I don't think Ricardo's there just because he's a personality. I think, I think his personality only enhances the fact that he's a damn good racing driver. I've said it on this show before, he's got eight F1 wins, and I'd argue that not one of them he was in the best car for. Mm. That is quite the achievement. I remember his last year at Renault was so, so good. He was, you know, in the top five almost every weekend. He was ridiculous. I know what he's capable of in a car. And I think the whole point of Red Bull is that they've tried to untangle what went wrong for him at McLaren and try to get him back to what he was when he was part of Red Bull in the first place. And unfortunately, they've lost five race weekends when he could have done that because of his injury, which hasn't helped either so it's it's all been a bit messy at Red Bull, not through entirely of their own making, but i I don't think it's i don't think Ricardo's personality is a crutch for his career. I think it's the opposite. I think the platform he's given himself has helped out, but I don't think that Ricardo would be off the grid without it. I think it certainly helps, but I still think he's a, a very solid racing driver. And I often tell people, well, if you're not if you're not getting in Ricardo, who would you bring in instead? And no, don't say Liam Lawson now just because you've seen him drive for five weekends. <laughs> That's not fair. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm going to say two. I, I said two on my notes here because okay, he's not had the best run of form for the last couple of years, so I'm not going to say it's a one. I can see why people might come to that conclusion, but I think if you take Ricardo's career as a whole, he's deserved the benefit of the doubt for for how he's gotten to this point. That's how I look at it. How about you, Eddie? How you scored it?
1: I've actually gone for three, so I'm using my special Ooh, okay. for this one. I think Fair enough. I would love to say that it was completely about, you know, he's, he's about for his performance, and yes, that is a massive factor, but I think There is a bit in there about personality and keeping him around for so long. I don't think his career would be cold in the ground, as Abby puts it. But (laughs) it is a factor. So I'm going to go kind of on the fence and go for a three.
0: That's fair enough. Look, I get the argument. It's why I went two. I disagree with it, but I could see why some people have drawn that conclusion. What I would say in general is come back to me at the end of the season. And we'll see if I still feel the same way. Because we've, we've got four race weekends left. It'll take his sample size up to seven. Then we'll get a better idea of where he's at. But right now, I, I think it's too quick to say that oh, Ricardo's cooked in, entirely as a driver. I know the McLaren run was rough, but everywhere else he's excelled. So I think it's only fair we give him a bigger chance to, to 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 see where he's truly at as a driver. Maybe McLaren really did do him in. We'll have to wait and see. Um <laughs> you know <clears throat> but so we'll, we'll see how we go on that one. So here's Marsan's second take of the episode. I I mentioned this earlier. This is going to be a fun one. If 50% or more of randomly selected cars failed the post-race inspection, more or possibly all of the cars should be investigated. Now I'm gonna have a little bit of context here because this is obviously in direct reference to Hamilton and Leclerc's disqualification from the race itself because their flaws were down to beyond a legal limit you're allowed 10 you're allowed nine millimeters of the plank under your car for it to be legal anything less than that you're in breach of the regs and if it's a technical regulation it's a it's a DQ no questions asked no appeals no nothing if your car is illegal it's excluded simple as that now. I believe this has come up because it was revealed when people, the, the, the uh, reports that only four cars had their flaws tested. The other two were Verstappen and Norris, who finished first and second um, after the penalties, uh, um, and uh, their flaws were legal. Now, L wanted me to take this one a little bit first, and, I'll, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I will. I'll, I'll put my two cents in, 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 in for this one. Scrutineering is hard. Is my first overall point here. They've got to pack these cars up and ship them off to the next race the following morning. Like Mexico, they've got to be there Monday morning for them to start building up the paddock, preparing for the Grand Prix weekend. And, uh, Ellie, I think, did you know before I told you before we started recording that the technical regulation book for F1 is 183 pages long?
1: <laughs> no, I have had before. I've tried to have a read-through, but it's mm. actually really hard to find the info that you want from it. So... <laughs> not that long i didn't know
0: <laughs> it's not exactly 50 shades of gray is it um like it's not exactly what you call compelling reading material i'm not to be i'm not sure 50 shades of gray is either i've never read it i just thought i'd pluck out a famous book as an example um <laughs> that's one for you adult listeners out there um be careful if you google it um but uh, yeah like it's it, it's not The, I don't think the average fan would ever read an FIA technical delegate report under normal circumstances. Like it's just something that you you assume that cars are legal when they run and you're not going to throw that entire book at every single car every single race weekend. You can't do it. There's not enough time to be able to do that properly. It's not like Le Mans, where where there's like one big event every year, and you're going to take the time to make sure every car is compliant. I remember that came up in the NMP2 class this year, where the class winner only got the official result on the Thursday. It took them four days to go through the results. So, um. It's, you, you can't have that in F1. You can't have a final result on the Thursday of the next race weekend. That that's crazy. Um that's far too long to leave it all up in the air, you know. So like a science experiment, you take a sample size. That's entirely fair. Like it's you know, that's how polling works. You you don't take the full amount, you take a sample. Um, because the results tend to reflect a greater picture. That's generally how polling works. So I'm, I largely personally am fine with this the way, the the way the FIA does it. It makes sense. Like, Like like I've said before, scrutineering is done in good faith. The the way the sport is run is in good faith because if it wasn't run in good faith and we accuse everybody of cheating every two seconds, we'd be stripping down every single car, every race weekend and making sure it completely follows the book. You can't do that. It's not a realistic thing to do um, in motorsport. So generally speaking, I'm fine with it. However, I can understand the logic in this take. I can like (laughs) for me, it's like the question of how long is a piece of string? Like (laughs) what, what would you consider a fair test? Uh, And I don't know what the number is on that. Is it four cars out of 20? Is it 10 cars out of 20? Is it the entire field? And I say this Al, to, to, to put you in a bit of a logic puzzle here. If they'd have randomly tested four other cars and they all came up fine, would we be even having this conversation?
1: gosh there's so much to unpack i think i agree with you about i think four is a good amount to test i think if we you know look at other sports we've had the introduction of things like var Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know we we bring it in to be fair and obviously that's a pro we want fairness technically, you know, they they could check every car and that would be the fairest thing. But is that logistically possible? Probably not. So I think, you know, it's good that we have, you know, these regulations, obviously, they need to complete, like, fairly and adhere to these, um, you know, pros, yeah, fairness, we know, like, that then all the cars are legal but as you've touched on like logistically there'd be so many challenges to this there'd be delays when we've got you know double headers triple headers it's probably not possible you know and then also yeah linking to things like var like we don't want the sport to always be relying so heavily on these sort of like witch hunts and like trying to find something wrong with every single car. So I think which is, which
0: is what basically was what football is right now. Let's let's be real. <laughs> like like <laughs> VAR hates my team or the ref is biased against my team. How many times do you hear that when football conversations come up these days? It happens all the time. You're, I think you're absolutely spot on with the with the VAR comparison. With yeah. football, I think we, we were prepared to accept to a degree that human error is a massive part of that game.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And we weren't okay with that, hence why VAR was brought in. And now we're finding out that, hang on, maybe we were actually okay with this a little bit. Sometimes the ref is allowed to make a mistake every once in a while.
1: For sure. Who knows? There's a level. And I think that's why, in terms of checking the cars afterwards, probably checking four of the cars is, you know, a decent amount. We we don't want it to become too much, I think. So I'm not sure about the 50%. I see the the reasoning, you know, Again, increasing the sample size, technically that's fairer, but logistically, I think probably, yeah, four cars is probably the right amount.
0: Yeah, it's worth pointing out this, is, this, this process is completely at random. Some elements of the car, all the cars get checked. Some of them, it's only a sample size. For example, during that same weekend, the aero parts were checked on Perez, Norris's, and I think it was Yuki Tsunoda's car as an example. They only tested three out of 20. They were all compliant. We all move on. And I that, that think a lot of this is perception. I think perception is nine-tenths of the law in this argument. If we tested four random cars and they all came up fine, we're not having a big conversation about whether this should be legal, whether this process is legal, whether it's fair or not. We, it doesn't even enter our minds. But the fact that two out of the four came up, I don't think, to be fair, I don't think it's a huge leap of, of logic to say, well, okay, with two out of four have come up illegal, maybe more, have come up that way. I get it. I'm not dismissing that argument, which is why, spoiler alert, I'm going to say three on this one, because you can either... Every argument can be counted fairly. because You could say, on one side, two out of four came up illegal. You could probably... You should probably test more to see if more people broke this rule. On the other hand, you could also say, well, why are you assuming that everybody else is going to run their cars the same way. I think they're both equally valid arguments. Just because Hamilton's car was illegal doesn't mean that George Russell's is going to be as well. They could have different setups. They could have ran their cars differently. The sport generally has the, the attitude of innocent until proven guilty. Because if it, if it was the other way around, scrutineering would take 15 days we find out about Logan Sargent's Abu Dhabi car sometime in preseason testing the following April. Um, so you've got to draw the line somewhere. So I'm going to say three on this one. I think you could easily go either way on this, but I also think a lot of the theory behind this thinking is based on what-ifs. What if this car is legal? What if this car is legal? What if this one is illegal? And I think people, to borrow a football pun like you did, Al... Move the goalposts a little bit, depending on how this turned out. Because, like I said, if we'd tested four cars, four different cars, and the floors were legal, Hamilton and Leclerc would have had an illegal car and we would have never have known. That's. Teams are okay with the figures. The threat of being DQ'd is enough for teams to not even try to consider breaking these rules intentionally. And uh, people are uh, this is why I don't call it cheating. Because I don't I don't think Mercedes had the intent to cheat. I think, you know, they just got caught out by the format. You know, I don't think they were going, well, we're going to run this car so low, it's going to take the barge boards off and we'll see what happens. If you get clapped for that, you're out. You know, you've know, you cost yourself, your whole weekend was for nothing. So for me, I'm fine with it the way it is, but I can see the argument. So I'm going to say three. Al, how do you feel about it? Score-wise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've gone for two. I I kind of agree with you. It's it's it could go either way. I just think, you know, I know a lot of people that have been put off watching the sport in more recent years as they kind of feel that more rules have come in. It's getting a bit, you know, there's political big, trust there's and a all risk that of making it as mm. I said earlier, like like a witch hunt with these track limits. I get it. We're trying to make it as fair as possible, but I think yeah, in terms of this statement, I think It's fine as it is. Like you say, it's random. The risk is big enough for teams. Of course, Lewis and Charles did not want to be disqualified. Of course not. So I've gone for a two, I think, with this one.
0: It did lead to a hilarious Instagram uh, collaboration (laughs) picture you may have seen there a couple of days ago. It was like mood.
1: Yeah.
0: well done, boys. Well, well, well handled. I must admit, I got a good laugh out of that. Um, right. so, so, so well done, Lewis and Charles. If you haven't seen the on Instagram, go out of your way to find it. You, you won't miss it. It's, uh, it's pretty funny. Um, final take of the episode comes from Daniel Dunderfelt. And uh, Daniel says, and it links back to the previous take, Hamilton's penalty has saved Perez's 2024 season. Very to the point. So we think that, as I said, Daniel, you think that Hamilton getting DQ'd and obviously the two DQs bumped Perez up to fourth in the end, in the final Mm -hmm. result, has saved him from losing his job. And I think this is probably more to do with the fact that those two are fighting for second in the championship. I think the gap would have been 19 points if Hamilton's result had stood. I think it's now 39 because of how it's all shaken out once the maths was was factored in, and obviously Hamilton's lost his 18. Perez got another couple more because he got me moved up a couple of spots. I think, I want to say it's 39 points now um, between the, and the fight for second. God, I'm good at maths. Look at me, look at me. <laughs> um, Christian Horner literally said this weekend, Perez's job is not dependent on whether he finishes second in the standings or not.
1: Yeah. Because
0: he didn't last year. It's easily forgotten he was third last year. He lost that to Charles Leclerc. Didn't lose his job then. He was off the back of an extension he got off the Monaco where he won that race. Here's what I'll say. If you take Horner at his word, then this shouldn't be a problem. Mm. The problem is, do you take Christian Horner at his word? Absolutely not. Um, yeah. <laughs> the way Rebels treated their drivers over the years. Like, they are ruthless. They have no problem making difficult decisions to call people if they feel they're not good enough. What I would say is, is that watching this weekend, if you're one of the people that isn't convinced about Checo and him being in that Red Bull seat, this was not going to change your mind. I think Perez was very quiet this weekend. I I think he was sixth on the road. You probably want a bit more from a car that's so good from your second driver opening up that kind of gap between you and the competition is not ideal when Max is doing so well. Um this isn't going to convince anybody that oh well actually no Perez is fine. Yeah this he he settled the ship like fourth is all right but you were you were nowhere near contend- contending. I think he was I think it was 24 seconds behind Max um by the time the race was over. Um you're not going to convince anybody in my opinion on this if you think that Perez deserves to stay where he is right now but L what's your general thoughts on the Perez situation do you think he should stay w- would this weekend help
1: i think the the statement great name by the way daniel um the statement yeah, is you know i don't think it's fair to say that just because of hamilton's penalty it's miraculously saved his season. I guess it comes down to whether his season technically needs saving. I think if you, you know, look at it objectively, if he finishes second in the driver's standings, how better could he perform? Like, no one's near max. So, of course, Red Bull would want Perez to finish second. And if he does, then surely, if you're looking at it, objectively from that point of view then his season didn't need saving I get that you know there was no big gap and sometimes Perez is nowhere to be seen but I think if we look at it at the end of the year then how can we not say he's had a successful year I get Mm. the car you know he maybe should be closer to Max but no one is close to Max like no one is (laughs) anywhere near this is true I think he's doing a pretty good job. You know, he's not the loudest driver on the grid in terms of, like, we spoke earlier about personality, marketing and things like that. Maybe that plays a factor. He's quite quiet, I guess, in terms of...
0: He, he is Mexican and they, are, and they are very passionate fans. We heard Max get booed on that podium. Now, to be fair, I think some of that was also for Greg Abbott. <laughs> Does, doesn't take a lot of Googling to figure out why. That's all I will say, but... You yeah. know, the me- like, every race weekend I go to, you will see Mexican fans in the stands everywhere. Perez has got a big following. And I think that's part of the reason why. I think that certainly helps out. Carry on. Just want to get that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think like, and also you mentioned about Christian saying about his future. It's interesting because it is his word. It, he said it wasn't dependent on where he finished. I don't know if I agree with that. I think, you know, Perez will probably be very relieved to finish p2 in the driver's standings at the end of the year because as I said performance wise there's not much more he could have done in terms of securing his spot and things like that so I think with the hot take I don't think it's so much to do with just this weekend Perez is a massive topic like especially this year everyone's talking about him in terms of his future and etc so I think it's not to do with Lewis's penalty and things like that it's more to do with his general I think trajectory in the future and it's just bloody hard with max as your teammate you know to look even decent next to him so i think yeah this is an interesting one but i think i'm leaning more towards disagree with this take i think he's he's done what he could basically
0: i'll tell you how i feel about it i went one i don't go one very often on this show either but i've done it a bit more frequently um because I don't think it's going to change anybody's perspectives on this. I think if you want Perez out of that seat, mm. him going from ninth to fourth in the Grand Prix is not going to sway your opinion on that. Like, if, if, that, if that's the side of the fence you've chosen to sit on, Like, this was a fine weekend for Perez, but it's not going to blow anybody away, right? Um, And if you want to give Perez the benefit of the doubt and keep him in, this was fine. Fourth place is, you know, a solid result. It's 12 points. It's not dreadful. It's, you know it's he's had far worse weekends than this one i I, I was doing the wtf1 rap on sunday and the audience that we had for that they were adamant to knock perez down from b tier to c tier and i was like guys this was nowhere near his worst weekend like i was just like what really are we were we were we that harsh on him now um you know like he's had far worse days than this one i think it was just a middle of the road weekend for him So I don't. That's why I've gone one because I just disagree with the premise of the text saying, "Oh well, because Hamilton's now DQ'd and you know he's got a thirty-nine point cushion for second that um, you know it, it saved his job." I don't think him falling to third would have would have cost anybody his job because I remember there were seasons when Sebastian Vettel beat Valtteri Bottas. Um, and no one was calling for Bottas's head to the level that we're doing now for Checo, um, and that was despite Mercedes having a very, very good car in back then too. Um, so I, I think I'm not saying there isn't an argument to to move Perez on. I think there's a very strong one you can certainly make, and I think the whole idea of bringing Ricardo back in and getting some extended time out of Liam Lawson was to set yourself up. And see potentially if there is a future for anybody else in your umbrella, but I don't think this is going to suddenly swing anybody's opinion because they'll just say, "Well, Hamilton would have finished second if it wasn't for the eighteen points he was robbed of in in a I know how somebody's fans get down on the internet, uh, you know. So it's it's that's how I look at it. So I've gone one. How do you feel about it, El? Let's wrap this up.
1: <laughs> I uh, I went for two. I'm kind of on the same line as you. I think. Sure interestingly as you say about Bottas he was doing the same P2 that's all they kind of the best they could ask for for him in comparison to Lewis why is it not the same for Perez so I think yeah this weekend didn't have a massive impact on his sort of longevity and future and all the conversations surrounding it so I think yeah two for me uh, it's definitely an interesting topic and I'm yeah in the future it'll be super interesting to see what happens with him and his career and everything
0: well, I mean, it's it's a big-name team and a big-name seat. If he doesn't get it, there will be ripple effects. There will be shockwaves sent down the sport. There will be consequences up and down the grid. So, yeah, they'll always be fascinating. It always is when a big seat has a move around. So I think out of the, the big seats that are out there, if Perez is the one that's moved on, there'll be conversations held. There'll be, there'll be people looking at the situation and going, hmm, Lando Norris in purple. Just a thought. Um but uh that'll do it for this edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. Um Elle, tell the good people where they can find you. Give yourself a little plug. Uh tell, tell the good people what you got going on in the world.
1: <laughs> I love that little promo. Um I am on TikTok, so you can find me at L Profit and the same on Instagram as well. Um for all things F1, tech, and all that sciencey kind of stuff that I absolutely love. You can check me out on there and give me a follow. Give
0: her a little bump from from, from us at, uh, to Hot Takes Wednesday. Tell her tell, tell, tell Dre sent you. Put in a good word. It never, hurt. it never hurts. Um, big thanks to El for coming on as always. Um, a delightful guest. And we'll be back next week for another edition of HGW right after the Mexican Grand Prix. Check out. Give us a good weekend. I don't have to talk about you on the show for three weeks in a row. Give us a podium. Give us something. All right. Um, Until then, I've been Dre Harris, Achieving Any Profit. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Take care. Sign out.
1: Thanks, guys.